feels her age has caught up with her beauty, she becomes desperate for plastic surgery. As each girl makes their case as to why she should or shouldn't get work done, we're taken on a journey of highs, lows, and steps. All of the back and forth has us asking, will Blanche go through with the surgery? Why don't the women remember the work they've had done? What grade did Rose get in her film class? All of that and more in this week's episode, Whose Face Is This Anyway? Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come. Your first thought might be that the title of this episode is a play on the hilarious improv show Whose Line Is It Anyway? But that is actually a play off of a play which became a film starring Richard Dreyfuss called Whose Life Is It Anyway? For as much fun as Whose Line offers, reverse that for the plot of Whose Life. Richard's character ends up paralyzed and the play and film become a battle for him to have the right to end his own life. Fun stuff. I'm not asking anyone to kill me. I'm only asking to be discharged. Mr. Harrison is not capable of making any rational decision about his life or his death. That is the question to be decided. The ultimate question in the human comedy. Whose life is it anyway? That does sound fun. Dorothy, in a black, white, and tan animal print blouse with purple undershirt, is found misting the houseplants that I never really noticed how many they had. Where are we? A millennial's apartment? (laughs) As she turns Uh, her... Are they into plants? Oh, it's a whole thing. Well, good. People should grow more plants because they make more oxygen it's a whole like uh we can't afford to live anywhere with space we can't afford to have children we can't live anywhere that allows animals so we just have a ton of plants plant resurgence has been huge the last couple years well at first it sounded like you were being like a boomer about it uh yeah kind of oh a little bit but it's like (laughs) it's actually very sad and they don't have access to things oh yeah well i mean isn't that the essence of a boomer laughing at something because they don't know why it's a thing and then you find out why and it's usually sad. As she turns around to barely add moisture to another frond, she meets Rose eye to lens, carrying one of those large VHS tape recorders, perhaps one she got from Sophia's shopping spree at Christmas, Rose is filming her housemates for a documentary she's creating for her junior college film class. I don't often relate to Rose, but as someone who dropped out of junior college after taking mostly film classes and being the annoying girl with a camera during everything, I not only relate, I'm concerned I saw this episode as a child and thought, yeah, that's my, that's my vibe. That's my lifestyle. I'm going with that. As fun as her project sounds, Dorothy doesn't want to be taped. She always ends up looking like Davy Crockett, a.k.a. Daniel Boone, a.k.a. Fess Parker. It's not that he was unattractive, just 
that he had very strong features, you know, like that of a rugged pioneer man. Made himself a legend forevermore. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Well, and you can kind of see why they chose that for Dorothy. Kind of that long face and strong chin, you know, kind of that squared off face. Yes. So you can barely see it. It was appropriately cruel. Yes. Ooh, my all-female emo band from the 80s. In her 80s mom getup of light slacks and a breezy yet stiff purple shirt, Rose tries her best to convince Dorothy to be filmed. You can be ugly. It's a documentary. Coming in the front door in a precious yellow dress and red cardigan, Sophia is bombarded by Rose immediately. Her only question, do I need to do a love scene? When she hears no, she makes it clear that she's not opposed to doing nudity. Not knowing the conversation has been had, Sophia once again uses her mouth sort of covering her face so she can whisper move to explain that she understands why Dorothy wouldn't want to take part. Who would if the camera always made them look like Fess Parker? Now Blanche and her head-to-toe Pepto-Pink ensemble has come home and Rose proposes the question to her. How do you feel about performing on tape? After a moment of processing the question, she answers it as we all expect her to. It's no problem as long as you've had at least three dates. Man, if Blanche was around today to have an OnlyFans. After learning about the Day in the Life of My Roommates film, Blanche is totally on board. And after a little bit of guilt, Dorothy will allow Rose to film her. As long as she doesn't shoot from down low. Even though Stan is even taller than Dorothy, he managed to make her look lanky, long, and alien. To Sophia, it was just an alien version of Fess Parker. Reading her mail, Blanche excitedly announces she received an invite from her old sorority, the Alpha Gams. Unsurprisingly, the names of her sisters are that of Gone with the Wind characters. In real life, there is an Alpha Gamma, but not one specifically celebrating the legs of its members. As not surprising as it is to hear Blanche was in a sorority, it's equally shocking to learn Rose was. It's back to not being surprising when she says that they were called the Alpha Yams. It makes sense. It was an agricultural college. Well, Blanche is just tickled pink, clearly, look at her outfit, to rub her old sister's faces and her stunning looks and unaged beauty. In a story I suppose we'll just have to add to our wish list of fan fiction, Dorothy shares she was never in a sorority as she was blackballed. For someone to be blackballed, that's not just a term meaning to reject someone from a club or group. It's actually the voting process, which is named after the literal balls used to cast secret ballots. If your sorority is voting on whether or not you should be in the group, white and black balls are provided with white meaning yes, or to stay, and black meaning no, you gotta go. This method keeps the vote secret, but seeing as the entire process is already quite brutal, I'm sure nowadays it's just done in person with the subject present. Remember that really mean letter sent out by a sorority sister just a couple of years ago? Well, here's actor Michael Shannon reading some of it. Enjoy. Tie yourself down to whatever chair you're sitting in, because this email is going to be a rough ride. We have been f***ing up. Sigmanu is not going to want to hang out with us if we suck. I will punt the next person I hear doing something like that. I pity you, because I don't know how you got this far in life. And with that in mind, don't show up. And for those of you who are offended at this email, I apologize, but I really don't give a f- Go f- yourself. 
Rose is disgusted by what happened to Dorothy. That's why her sorority didn't allow it. It was all about helping your community, being kind to your sisters, and, well, their own form of blackballing, castrating a sheep. <coughs> to do that, you can just put a rubber band around the testes until they die and fall off. There appears to be other methods, but there are videos and graphic descriptions of what I will not be viewing or reading about. That's not the energy I want in my 2022. <laughs> Sophia can relate. She was in a club of sorts that had the same requirement, although instead of sheep, it involved the castration of neighboring mayors. And those local government officials must have been pretty young when that happened. If a male hasn't gone through puberty and is castrated, it could have an effect on the hormonal development of the voice. An adult's voice wouldn't be turned into that of a soprano. Hey, Chris didn't know going in. You want my DVD player? You can watch Grumpy Old Men. You're gonna be a funny boy too now, huh? Hey, you sopranos. Coming down the hallway in her blue and black checkered pajama robe combo is Dorothy, who nonchalantly says hello to Rose, who is not only hiding behind the couch to candidly film her, but has adopted Blanche's dress code of all pink. The acknowledgement is frustrating for the budding filmmaker, as she's supposed to be unseen. Dorothy can't help that she's on edge with her around. After finding her filming as she gave herself a pedicure in the nude, she's anxious about the presence of the camera. Entering the kitchen, Dorothy is not only followed by Rose, but is greeted, no, accosted by her mother, wearing what looks to be a Sicilian-inspired hand-sewn skirt, a poofy-sleeved blouse with a tight vest over it and even earrings. Sophia grabs her daughter and lands a kiss on each cheek. As this isn't her first rodeo with her mother, Dorothy knows something is going on. She's also confused by Sophia's It's a Small World Italian Doll-inspired outfit. Here are some fun facts about the Disney ride, It's a Small World, from MentalFloss.com. The ride was originally created for and shown at the 1964 New York World's Fair. After moving it to Disneyland, Walt had children from around the world join in the dedication by filling the flume with water from all of their countries. That song was written by the same team that wrote Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And though it's not proven, it's believed the original, not this dark piano version, is the most played song in the world. It does run in multiple locations for over 12 hours every day, so that's probably a very fun fact. Seated at the table, Dorothy is greeted with her favorite dish, her mother's lasagna. Seeing as she isn't going for a run anytime soon, she's not the most interested in the pasta for breakfast. Then, as Sophia starts to hawk her recipe to the camera for the low price of only $5.95, Dorothy has had it and calls cut. Rose, the director, will not tolerate such behavior from her subjects, reminding them she is the director and she gets to call cut. When Dorothy turns to her with a look of, call cut or I will cut you, Rose agrees and turns the camera off. That's when Sophia explains, Rose's film will be a huge success, and I'll get the exposure, and everyone will want my recipes. I'll be the next Chef Boyardee, the next Mama Celeste, the next Chef Balducci. To clarify, the first two had exposure on television. The last was charged with exposure after filling his cannoli with a different kind of cream. Since the dawn of television, everything has been about content. And it's kind of funny to look back now at someone using a home video camera and you kind of think it's silly. But nowadays we have people that are like falling to their deaths or getting arrested, all while being filmed and in the name of exposure. 
These girls really were ahead of their time. Imagine if they had had a TikTok. Coming through the back door in her grayish-purple pant and jacket combo, highlighted by a red and purple fancy scarf, is Blanche, who the girls are surprised to see home. She was supposed to return the following day, but she just decided to come home early. Besides the unexpected return telling them something was wrong, she helps herself to a scoop of the lasagna. Well, technically, she scoops out a serving before sitting at the table with the entire pan. Knowing something is wrong but she won't say, Dorothy jokes that she'll defrost some pork to aid in eating all the sauce. That's when Blanche breaks. The reunion was awful. After 30 years, every sister looked like the day they had graduated. It was as though time had stood still. Rose knows exactly what she means. She saw a movie about that once. As she goes into detail about women and flying saucers, she asks if any of the sisters mentioned a leader by the name of Zardoz. If you've ever used the internet, you've probably seen a picture of Sean Connery with a long, dark, fake ponytail and red leather body straps and a Speedo on a beach. That is Zardoz. Besides being science fiction, it relates to Blanche's feelings as the Eternals, the species of Zardoz, live forever with eternal beauty, as long as they aren't naughty. Coco, have you seen this infamous film? Zardoz! Zardoz! Speaks to you, his chosen ones. The gun is good. Go forth and kill. It's an unbelievably seventies movie. Only then can oh, yeah. a movie like Zardoz get made with a like a major star. It's the it's biggest nuts. It's basically like he's an eternal Zardoz and then he goes, yeah, into the big stone head and pretends to be a god to these other guys who are like bad and they're like, don't have kids. And they're basically just trying to eradicate this population and then go back to his eternals planet because they're all perfect and ageless. But if they sin or they do anything bad, they kind of age a little bit, but no one ever dies. So they don't have kids. That was not what Blanche meant. The beauty and agelessness had come from her being the only one who hadn't had plastic surgery. This leaves Rose confused. Wait, you're mad because you not only got to see all your friends, but they all looked wonderful? Blanche isn't some sort of petty child. Of course that's not why she's upset. She's pissed because no one told her she was the prettiest one and she didn't get to be the center of attention. Annoyed at her vanity, Dorothy cannot understand why Blanche would be so upset. Of course she can't. What Blanche is going through is a trauma only experienced by the most beautiful women who struggle when their beauty begins to fade. Clearly something that Dorothy will never be able to relate to, as she must look like the former New York Yankee, Joe Pepitone. He had numbers and scores and really good points and such, making him a good baseball player. Looks-wise, let's just say he looks like he was a Yankee from Brooklyn, and you would understand why Dorothy wouldn't want to be compared to him. Blanche cannot be bothered to make Dorothy feel better about the comment she made, one that would have put Blanche in the hospital. She's too worried about her looks. Being the cutest in the room has always been her thing. Now what will she have? Cue Rose actually having a resolution to the problem. Blanche can just get a facelift too. That may sound easy enough, but for someone who has a fear of surgery, it's a no-go. Her only other option? To grow old with the rest of the household. But how could she find the desire to go on if she looked like them? 
Up until that nasty remark, Dorothy was actually on Blanche's side. It's a new day and Dorothy is making hot water for tea while wearing her purple watercolor sort of floral inspired smock. When Sophia comes in wearing khakis, a pastel checkered top, and teal cardigan, Dorothy offers her a cup. Well, she would take her up on it, but she's been trying to keep her dentures clean and tea stains them. So much so, she had to soak her teeth in bleach powder. Sophia doesn't want milk. It'll upset her stomach. She doesn't want orange juice. She'll get heartburn. Relatable. So she'll just settle with a cup of tea. I love how this joke feels like something that was just brought up in the writer's room and they just threw it in for filler. It's not connected to anything else. It's not something we come back to. Just a funny exchange, which reminds me of summer school. (laughs) For anyone that missed it, every episode has bloopers. And two weeks ago, there was a blooper involving Josh getting confused about summer school. And it really felt like this tea moment. It's my new favorite blooper of all time. She's been married to Sexiest Man Alive alum Mark Harmon since 1987. Summer school. (laughs) What's that? Mark Harmon was in summer school. Oh, fun. Were they in it together? Who? (laughs) I was asleep, but I heard summer school. Pam Dauber. No, you said summer school. Didn't you say summer school? No, you just said summer school. Mark Harmon started in summer school with (laughs) Kirstie Alley. It's a real charming movie. I was asleep. I'm really excited. I'm a part of this show. I'm excited for you to hear that. I'm not. (laughs) Just then, Ellen bursts into the kitchen. We're not really ready yet. I mean, it was supposed to be a whole lot better, you know, but things don't always work out as you plan, right? Oh, wait, that's Rose. And when she arrives in her denim dress, she's excited to share the first cut of her documentary. She wants everyone to see, but Blanche is still in her room crying, as she has been for the last two days. As much as Rose cannot understand someone being so upset over looks, the Patrillo women can. Blanche's vein and looks have always been important to her. For Sophia, the understanding comes from a deeper place. She used to have hair as red as marinara and a non-Play-Doh butt. Boys in her village would fight over who got to keep the footprints she would leave in the mud. Her stunning dark eyes and buttery smooth skin had everyone wild for her. Having her pick of any eligible goat farmer, Sophia was the queen of the village. But then Muffin, the hot girl in town, drew all of the attention away from her. Yes, Dorothy, the footprints in the mud. It's not like they had a lot of money or things to do, okay? They aren't millionaires that can just go out and buy a Fabergé egg. I had always thought Fabergé eggs were a type of jeweled egg you could just get at a store, like Tiffany Diamonds. No, they were actually created in St. Petersburg, Russia in the 1880s, but only like 69 of them were made. Of the remaining eggs, they are estimated to be worth around $33 million. Being as vain as Blanche, Sophia told Muffin how she felt about her being there. Muffin, being beautiful inside and out, didn't want there to be any hard feelings, so she offered to move to a neighboring village. And no, Sophia didn't feel bad about giving her the boot. In fact, she helped her pack. This didn't work out for Sophia, as Muffin's departure had all of the men following her. Well... All of the men except Salvador. Arranged marriage or last option, that was how Sophia and Sal got together. 
Before the girls can call BS on Sophia's story, Blanche comes in, finally able to leave her room. Perhaps her desire to feel younger is what has inspired her to wear a puffy-sleeved, high-necked pajama. Deciding she had actually been acting silly, she was able to pull herself out of bed and realize she still has her beauty. As much as she thinks she should act more modestly, she knows she shouldn't deprive the world of her gorgeous looks. Ready to move on from Blanche's existential crisis, Rose is excited to show them her movie. The music hasn't been added, but the editing is complete. Being a film, the music would of course help, as would a larger screen. Heck, if you were going to talk about all the things that would make this movie better, we might as well add Shelley Hack. Rose doing this reminds me of any time I've ever shown anyone anything. Well, it might not be as funny because, or if I need to change it, just let me know, or this would be better if... I'm kind of the queen of caveats when I'm feeling unsure. You know what was made better by having actress Shelley Hack? Annie Hall, The Love Boat, Charlie's Angels, Diagnosis Murder, Tales from the Crypt, La La, and The Stepfather. He's just some crazy creep. Don't you talk to your father that way. He's not my father. How can you even bear to let him do this? Stop it! We have to talk, honey. About what? About what is happening to our family. I'm taking care of it. He scares me, Dr. Wandering. Very bad girl. The stepfather. Playing the movie, the girls are giggling at Sophia, Sophia is joking about Fess Parker, and Dorothy is watching her mother take money from her pocket. When Blanche catches a glimpse of herself on the screen, every bit of progress she's made about feeling better about her looks is wiped away. Horrified at her own experience, Blanche runs to Rose, ripping the remote away and turning off the TV. The girls try to calm her, but it's no use. Nearly hysterical, Blanche claims to be calm. Calm because she's finally come to terms with just how hideous she is. So she will have to have an entire overhaul. Facelift, butt lift, boob job, nose job, whatever it takes. Sophia's disappointed to hear she'll be making all those changes, but leave her hair the same. It's a moon over Miami kind of evening. Blanche is still in her pajamas, now at the kitchen table, cutting out pictures from a magazine, asking Rose her thoughts on supermodel Cheryl Teague's nose. She finds it nice, but her grandpa always suggested one should have a large nose as to enjoy the free air offered by the world. As sweet of a sentiment as that is, it might have been his way of getting people to appreciate large noses since his looked like a boomerang. Dynasty's Linda Evans' blue eyes, singer Lena Horne's undeniably powerful cheekbones, paired with original supermodel Cheryl Teague's nose, would make for a beautiful face. Comedian Carol Burnett's strong round chin would literally be the cherry on top. Or, I guess, the bottom. Why, that face would be just as lovely as the adorable Gavin McLeod of Love Boat and Mary Tyler Moore fame. After joking about the appearance of the Franken face Blanche has collaged, Sophia sounds mildly disappointed when she learns Blanche is seeing a plastic surgeon the following day. Once again, I find myself relating to Rose here. She doesn't get it and kind of finds it unnatural. But hey, what does she know? Her bedmate was a pig the first 11 years of her life. I do struggle with plastic surgery. I understand why people would want it, and I think it's great there can be things done to help you with your health or self-esteem. 
I've considered a breast reduction, not really plastic surgery, but kind of the same idea. What I struggle with really comes more from the trend of it. And I'm sorry to sound like a living fossil, but seeing every famous person or want-to-be internet famous person look like they fell into a face-melting machine brought to you by the Kardashians is so boring and distracting. Besides how terrible the Sex and the City reboot is as a story, when Charlotte is talking, all I can see are her lip fillers, and I'm just waiting for them to, like, pop out or be accidentally bitten or something. If you need to slim your honker down to feel better about yourself, do it. If you're 19 and feel inadequate because everyone else has big fake lips, not so much. Thank you for listening to my old lady judgmental rant. Coco, how do you feel? I would love to hear a male perspective. Uh, in general, how do you feel about plastic surgery? Boy, people go. People do a lot of it. They do too much of it. I think. I think a little, a little touch, can do something, and many touches um, yeah. can turn you into a monkey Jesus. <laughs> Bring it back around. Speaking of rants, Rose gives us a plot whoopsie here. We know Dorothy has had her ears pinned, but Little Miss. It's Unnatural has had a nose job. We learned about it in the vacation episode earlier this season. Post-ear-pinned Dorothy feels the opposite. If it makes you feel good and look good, go for it. That's fine for Rose. She just doesn't care that much about her looks. Oh, really? Dorothy calls her out. You do your hair, your makeup, your nails, all because you want to present yourself a certain way. Trying to defend herself, Rose claims her blonde hair is its natural color. Yeah, right, Sophia chimes in. You're blonde, and in a recent sort of, oh boy, John Madden, the very large, recently passed football coach and commentator, was a picky eater. See, 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 see how heat does come out of the top of your head? Look at it, just coming off of Nate's head there. That's where it escapes. If you have heat in your body and you want to let it out, you take your hat off. Yeah. You know, what you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that head. Nate's got a lot of room to let it out. Yeah. I mean, you could cook like some burgers on there. Look at now you're talking. I mean, this is football. When you yeah. got steam coming out of your head and your mouth, now you're talking football. You're controlling that offensive line. This is what it's all about. It's a playoff game. If you win, you go to the championship. Well, what are you talking about? Dorothy's point makes sense to Rose, but surgery still seems too extreme for her. Liar! 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 Get back, witch! Besides her ears, which she doesn't mention, Dorothy shares she's had her eyes done. Sophia saw it as a waste of $1,500 and she never goes out, but Dorothy makes a great counterpoint. She didn't do it for her dates. She did it for herself. No one even noticed, but she felt better, which allowed for a higher self-esteem. It's great to hear that it all worked out for Dorothy, but that was not the case for Olga Fetchik of St. Olaf. Before Rose can take us on a journey through St. Olaf's surgery, Sophia pulls out her tape player and puts on her headphones. And I love that they use this cut as the wires for the headphones get totally tangled, leaving Sophia looking like a wacky old lady that has no idea how technology works while wires are coming out of her brain. With no one flinching at Sophia's removal from the conversation or ridiculous headphones, Rose continues. Olga had been a beautician who had the looks of an aardvark. Saving up for surgery, she left to get the work done. When she returned, she was the most beautiful woman in town, marrying the town's most eligible bachelor, Adolf Stepp. They moved to Norway, started a dance troupe called Stepp and Fetchik, and the rest is history. Now, what this has to do with Blanche's situation or why it ruined Olga's life is still quite unclear. 
knows, knows, knows. It's not that the surgery ruined Olga's life. In fact, it sounds like it did nothing but improve it. It almost ruined St. Olaf. They had no beautician in town, leaving the locals to resort to home treatments. Those who received the unprofessional perms were left looking like singer and notoriously curly-haired man Art Garfunkel. Eventually, they got a new stylist who saved the day and the town, hence why Rose is opposed to surgery. Without a word, Dorothy gets up, walks over to her mother, and blasts the tape. With rickety 80s jams coming out of the headphones, Sophia's confused as to why Dorothy would do that to her. Simple. They should all be in pain together. Sitting back down, not acknowledging her feelings or what she just did to Sophia, Dorothy asks Rose to continue. It's the following day and Blanche is at Dr. Gordon W. Taylor's office. Playing the doctor is Joseph Whip, who is still adding to his over 100 credits. Sure, he was a nightmare on Elm Street, The Wonder Years, and Home Improvement, but there's one role that he's best known for in my heart, that of Sheriff Burke in Scream. There's more. Guess what tomorrow is? The anniversary of his wife's death. We'll keep the roadblocks and a curfew in effect through the night. If he's not picked up by morning, then we'll do a house to house. You stay close to Sydney. Don't let her out of your sight. Actually, here's Joseph now via his cameo telling us a little about his time on set with the girls. Hey there, Alicia. Uh, this is Joseph Whip. Um, uh, thank you for the invitation to be part of your podcast. I, I must say, I did look it up. I googled you, and there you are. Anyway, my episode from the uh, Golden Girls, 1987. It was a very, I remember it very, very well, because, of course, working with those three ladies was absolutely wonderful. I worked with Rue McClanahan in my scene, but uh, for the table reads and all the other things, they were around. Uh, one thing uh, that I did ask, or my wife wanted uh, Betty White to uh, send her a little note of some kind or a picture. Uh, and she didn't do it while I was working, but lo and behold, a week later, in the mail came this wonderful, nice little note from uh, Betty White. It was a delightful experience. Uh, I I do get residuals from it, and I always am very happy when I do. They've been fairly consistent. They're you know down about five cents now, but it's still always a good memory. And then I'm constantly reminded from. Uh, uh, people who say, oh, I saw you on television today. I was watching Golden Girl. So it is absolutely amazing uh, how much of the humor still does work. Uh, interested in your podcast, I will have to listen to it uh, because I, I interesting to take the episodes apart. Great idea. Much success. A little steep for my personal taste. But they certainly do make a statement. Thank you. Bye. Entering the horrendously pale 80s office, Blanche is rocking a peppy purple shirt and pant with globs of pink butterfly flower things. She's ready to drop the outfit to the floor and give the doctor a better look at the canvas that stands before him. But the groovy doc in his khakis, hint of yellow shirt, and pale baby blue jacket just needed to see her medical form. Not concerned, the doctor starts going through the major list of work Blanche wants done— there are several times in the series it's implied Blanche has access to her own collection of nudie magazines, and I love that. In this instance, she's brought in a centerfold as her breast inspiration. 
After giving the photo a bit of a auga, the doctor finds them subtle, even if they aren't his favorite type, and Blanche finds them big, which is all that matters. This works out for everyone, as the doctor's specialty is breastwork, just like a Miami Dolphins linebacker Blanche has spent some time with. As he can't legally name names as to whose breasts he's done, the doctor can only hint, saying, you'll see them on NBC's Thursday night lineup. That could have been someone from The Cosby Show, A Different World, Cheers, Night Court, or, of course, La La. This delights Mrs. Devereaux. Given the intimacy of their professional relationship, she asks the doctor to call her Blanche, as he does before going down the list of things that could go wrong in the surgery. He also reminds her, this is a temporary fix, not something to bring someone out of a depression or cure all self-esteem issues. There are no promises things will look how she expects or that nothing will go wrong. But Blanche doesn't care. Her beauty has been her muse and the muse of others. She doesn't know how to go through life not looking stunning or youthful. There was simply no talking her out of it. With the sad clarinet transition music, we learn sitcom time has passed. Blanche has signed up for the surgery, gone through all of the processes, checked into the hospital, and is now lying in a bed, bandaged as so only eye and nose holes remain. Entering the room at Biscayne General Hospital to greet their friend is Dorothy in a brown and teal jacket-shirt combo out of an airline catalog, Sophia in a floral dress and purple cardigan, and Rose in a coral dress. Checking in with her, Blanche is only able to mumble sounds in response to their questions as to how she's feeling. As the how-are-you Blanches and you'll-be-okay Blanches continue, the patient finally gives up and pulls back their sheet, revealing Blanche may have had more surgery than expected. When Dorothy apologizes to the gentleman, it's then we learn that they were just flashed by a man and they are not at Blanche's bedside. As the nurse apologizes to Mr. Diodoro for the mix-up, Sophia is surprised to hear he was Italian. He didn't look it. That same nurse also informs the girls that at check-in, Blanche dipped and didn't go through with the surgery. The uncredited nurse is played by Jodie Price. She's a producer but does have six acting credits. Watch Your Mouth, Sisters, Who's the Boss, Roseanne and Tom Behind the Scenes, a League of Their Own television series, which I guess was an actual thing. Back at the house, the girls are searching everywhere for Blanche. The only clue Sophia could find was hot coffee in the kitchen. That's not exactly helpful information, as Dorothy points out that they have been home and the coffee was theirs. Well, excuse Sophia. It's not like she's the Agatha Christie character Miss Marple, who was a female detective featured not only in the books, but in her own TV show. Right then, an all-teal Blanche comes in the door. Everyone's relieved to see her, but confused and frustrated as to what has been going on. When Blanche left the hospital, she's going to come home, but got distracted by a dress. A dress she knew would show off her exquisite body. The frustration for Dorothy continues. How could your body be exquisite when yesterday we were comforting you because you felt like a bag of potatoes? Inappropriately, the plastic surgeon, the day before performing major surgery on his patient, asked said patient out on a date. Sure, that's unethical, but he got his karmic return as Blanche backed out of what would have been at least $30,000 worth of work today. 
It wasn't just that a man found her attractive so she didn't feel like the work was needed. It was that a plastic surgeon, someone who could date and create any kind of woman he could dream of, chose Blanche, was proof enough she still had the looks, charm, and mesmerizing beauty that had gotten her this far in life. Getting everything tweaked could have damaged her natural allure. Besides, if she ends up with the doctor, she can get the work for free if she really wants it. She's happy to keep her lines and wrinkles, just as she's happy to grow old with her friends. Once again, luring them into understanding before burning them, she points out that growing old with them will be great, because she'll always be the prettiest, youngest, and most desirable out of the group. Once again, keeping Dorothy in her corner until the last second. When it comes to plastic surgery or any physical augmentation, the doctor is right. Those boobs are too perky. No, wait. He's right in that plastic surgery isn't a fix for feelings that might be better served by therapy than a knife. In a world of body positivity, I'm working on including plastic surgery into that thought process. If you want work done because you want a certain look or to feel a certain way, go for it. If you're only doing it because social media has made you feel unworthy or you think filtered faces are reality, find ways to appreciate your beauty for what it really is. Like right now, you. Yeah, you. Go look in the mirror. Just look at you. Look at everything you've been through and how beautiful you are. Just as stretch marks are tiger stripes, wrinkles are reminders of the laughs we've shared with friends, tears we've cried when we thought we couldn't go on, smiles we've flashed at strangers. You are beautiful just as you are. If you still want work, at least get a hot doctor to give you a discount. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we discuss nothing but Lopez in Dorothy's Prized Pupil. Reverse that to the... Oh, wow. My eyes. My eyes! <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'll take the, the visits either way. Yeah, tourism's tourism, even if you're laughing at us. We got to go see that monkey Jesus. I know. It's Look like out of, Spain. I don't know why. It's like one of my great dreams in life. Me too. Just see that stupid thing. I, there's something that it's like, because I find the snobbery of any kind of art to be so silly, there's something in like people travel across the world to see the Mona Lisa or to see these different pieces this one's just as important. It, this is a piece of art. It causes a huge reaction inside yes. of me yes. as a human being looking at that <laughs> soft-faced creature. Every time I look at that face, I think of the woman getting further and further along yeah. and thinking that she was just kind of doing a moonshot and she was going to come around the back end. <laughs> And it never happened. She's like, once I get to the nose, it's really going to come together. Once I get this scroll painted on the edges, people will be like, wow, it looks brand new. They won't won't even notice if the face looks a little different because I've added the scroll. The scroll looks great. (laughs) We need to get one for the house. Oh, sorry. Was that a fart? No, 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 that was my my throat. Oh, wow. Okay, don't be too sensitive. Boomer, boomer. Gen X, motherfucker, for life. (laughs) I'm making an X symbol over the microphone right now. For life. That's what I'm saying. I think I saw this as a kid and was like, look how much she's bothering everyone. (laughs) Because I did did not. I still don't really like being filmed. Thank you.
I tried to be unless respectful. It's sex, unless it's a sex act. <laughs> uh, always be my sister's hot tip. Just mirror your your telephone screen, your cell phone screen to the TV, right? And there's no recording. We're always sharing stuff to the TV. Like, look at this video. Look so at this you video. would just turn on your camera, put it on video, or just open it. Yeah. And then screen share to the TV, and then it's live, and then it's not recorded. That's kind of genius. Coco's hot homemade porn tips. <laughs> You'll only find them here on Always Be My Sisters. Hello? Oh. I was waiting for you to do another one. Of the re- Nice. <laughs> I love 69. Being a film, the music would, of course, help, as would a larger string. String? Hmm. But the groovy doctor in his khakis, hint of yellow shirt, and baby blue. Other than that, it was great. And the last thing he did was perfect. Oh, my God, it was so long. <laughs> That's what my toilet said. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister. Let's get back to work. <laughs>